everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gavin. I'm Dave. I'm Joel. I'm Alex. Well done guys, this is getting better and better. <laughs> Basically we are four lads from Liverpool who just sit around and bitch about films. You could say we're the Royal Liverpool Film Harmonic. Oh, that was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's I, I, think I think it's getting better. Yeah, I think yeah. it's getting better. Um, so, this week's film that we're going to review is Star Wars Episode 4 A New Hope. So, it's going to be a bit of a tough one. Uh, or is it? Controversial. It's going to be very controversial to say the least. But before we actually get on to reviewing the film, I thought we could do a weekly uh, edition of the news. Hang on, guys. Hang on. Production values are about to soar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. All that practicing. (laughs) Right, okay. Um, Okay, so this is a regular part of the show where we all just sit around and we talk about the biggest news items of the week. Um, Joel, uh, what is your news item? Yep, so the Jurassic World film has got a new poster and with it comes the new title. Um, so it's Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and just below that says Life Finds a Way um, so I'm pretty excited I know you didn't enjoy the uh, Jurassic World film gap but I think most of us here <laughs> yeah. like enjoyed it just for what it was which is dinosaurs <laughs> yeah to <laughs> be honest Life Found a Way out of my body that day <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, disengaged I, I, watched, I, I actually watched it yesterday for the first time it was great I enjoyed it it was a great Sunday film it was perfect for what I wanted love Chris Pratt and everything he's in now I think he might be becoming one of my favourite actors but I, only, I don't know what they're going to do for a sequel because at the end it's just well not to put any spoilers but obviously the dinosaurs mess stuff up oh uh, spoiler <laughs> <laughs> but I, where are they going to go from now why would they go back you know I, um, I don't know what the plot is but Jeff Goldblum is back in this one is he? so if I was a movie exec all you had to say to me is like Another Jurassic World film. Eh, Jeff Goldblum's in it. Take everything, oh, yeah. Yeah. all the money you want. <laughs> yeah, because the Lost World proved so popular, didn't it? <laughs> but, that's not Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, so with that film, I just thought uh, the story was was just a bit weak. And, and the old argument is, yeah, but you're watching a film about dinosaurs in a park. What do you expect? Well, actually, I expect Jurassic Park, which was yeah, yeah. a story about Rackham dinosaurs story. in a park. Yeah. It was absolutely brilliant, so I wanted that again. Do you know, do you know what it meant? I, like, I liked in the first Jurassic Park, when you, know, you had a little bit where Jeff Goldman was explaining how like immoral it was and things like that. I feel like that added a lot to Jurassic Park, where yeah. they just don't quite... A I bit think, of personality? Possibly, yeah, a little bit of something deeper going on, you know. I think people can take it, but sometimes I feel like these big movie blockbusters were like, no, don't, they're not clever. We can't, <laughs> we can't show them clever stuff. They're, you know, they're idiots. Well, that's so, it now. Is it, they're out of material to adapt, because Michael Crichton wrote two novels, and they used a lot of his yeah, his dialogue from the books. Obviously, the man was a brilliant writer. Yeah. They used his dialogue for the first two, and then ever since then, it's down to the script writers, the screenwriters yeah, of Hollywood, and, ideas. and often they're up to the task. Mm. Maybe... The Indominus Rex has evolved, grown wings, and flown to New York. Have you just... <laughs> <laughs> See, that's we laugh, but that's so, yeah. It is luxury. Have you just read that? Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, that is actually the plot summary on IMDb. <laughs> uh, so, Alex, uh, what is your news item of the week? Uh, my news item is, uh, to be honest, I'm just shooting on the things. I'm really excited about seeing Baby Driver. So I think it's coming out. Is it today? No, to Wednesday. I think I just I really I haven't. I've, I'm. We keep talking about how trailers can just give you too much information. So I just know it's Edgar Wright. 
it looks I, I like the I like the poster and I'm trying to stay away as much as possible from any trailers mm. and I just think I don't know I've just got a really good feeling about it and it might be a, one of it the best it kind of reminds seen. me of Jason Statham in yeah. um, what's it called Transporter Transporter yeah oh, it's kind that's, of that's, that's not at all why I'm going <laughs> no, <I don't. laughs> oh. you've just ruined, oh, ruined oh, it no. more <laughs> no no uh, I, I actually think that the trailer looks alright for change I mean, uh, so I saw the initial trailer when it came out, the what, 30 second one that they normally release. The teaser. Yeah, and, and then they obviously release a 18 minute long trailer these days, which has every aspect of the film in it. Um, but even that one wasn't um, too bogged down. It, 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 it didn't feel like I'd seen all the set pieces and all the funny bits. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it just kind of looked like it was a lot of stylistic. Um, parts of the film but you, you, you uh, Edgar Wright does that really well yeah. I, I just don't know if it'll translate because he's got that you know with Hot Fuzz and all of that he's got that just nailed down how to like you know because he's making it stylish but it's old country you know like Gloucestershire and stuff like that so I'd be interested to see because it's, it's going to be less knowing and ironic and mm. it's going to be more like no actually stylish and I, I think he can do it I just yeah because yeah. that's the point his, his previous ones have always had uh, more of a heavier element of comedy yeah. whereas this one seems to be more focused on the action yeah whereas uh, I mean even Scott Pilgrim uh, you look at that and that was this kind of transitional piece from uh, the UK to yeah. the US um, and it was it was really good and there was a lot of the elements of the style in there yeah. and yeah. it did work but was that because it was very heavy on the comedy yeah exactly so if he takes the comedy out it might be I don't know but so I'm definitely worth a shot I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful yeah. yeah, fantastic cast as well. Really good, yeah, fantastic, yeah. So, uh, Dave, what's your news item of the week? Uh, quite a topical one, given the film we're going to be judging today. Uh, new Han Solo film, the Han Solo spin-off, just got a new director, Ron Howard. Mm. Ron Howard, ladies Quite an interesting, didn't, wouldn't have put them together at all. Interesting choice, yeah. very interesting choice. So, somebody watched Apollo 13 and thought, hey, get this guy in to do a film about space exploration. (laughs) (laughs) To to be honest, though, what makes me nervous is the fact the previous director left due to, you know, differences, which, when it's Star Wars, to me, kind of smells smells up a little bit of trouble, do you know what I mean? What do you mean, like like problems with the direction? Yeah, too much meddling, I think he didn't agree with a lot of the directions the film was going in. Yeah, who was the previous director? Um, because I, yeah, I did read this somewhere that the director left because the producers had already kind of got the script set up, mm-hmm. um, and it was a case of it was what the producers wanted. Which it, when that starts happening, it spells disaster for a film. I think. But then, why would they get Ron Howard in? Because he's a heavyweight. He's got. He's got. You know. He's. He's going to be hard to push around. Do you think they'd get in someone? You know malleable wouldn't you whereas yeah, yeah. if they bring in Ron Howard in it, I think hopefully that means they think oh we actually need his direction I this. think the media are keeping a very close eye on mm. this one I think because it is Star Wars because it is one of the biggest franchises on the planet possibly the biggest movie franchise on the planet everyone's talking about it everyone's keeping a very close eye on production so every little niggle every disagreement is being blown out yeah it's true public. totally out other blockbusters other big yeah. films have these same issues just people aren't honing in on them no, no, the same true, way yeah. true um, yeah, so leaves me with my news item of the week, which is Daniel Day-Lewis has come out and said that after this uh, his latest film, he's going to retire from acting, which to me couldn't come soon enough. <laughs> I, when, I, when should it have come? Uh, it should have come about uh, 1994, I think. Yeah. Uh, Post-Mohicans. Um, I, actually, the last of the Mohicans wasn't that bad. Uh, to be fair... The majority of his performances that I've seen haven't been that bad, but some of them I think have been a 
bit hammy. Oh yeah, and going to, to New York. Was yeah, pretty hammy. That was, that was. T- I thought that was terrible. I thought he overhammed it. Up. Yeah, yeah. He cooked that ham <laughs> too much. That yeah. was in the oven for a good few days. That should. That was well done. I, I thought he was pretty good in Gangs of New York. You know. Oh no! I, I when you watch the when you when you watch the performance. And then you read about all the method acting that's gone into it, yeah. and all of the backstage heat that he's that he's built up, and all of the fights, and all of the kind of you know, trying to stay in character. You just think to yourself, was was it really worth it? I mean, for Gang to New York, the kind of routine that he went through to prepare himself for that role, I don't think really merited the the, the performance. Yeah, I think the performance was quite, as you, as we said before, poor. In comparison, a little over the top. Yeah. Not not when I don't know. Like it didn't feel like it had lots of preparation going to it. You know, I th- you know it was fine to be a bit hammy, but a bit surprised to hear. I think for me, it's one of them that I probably won't miss. To be honest, yeah. Like when I think of him, I think of Last of the Mohicans and maybe um, There Will Be Blood, which I thought was a great film. But if I never see him again, I probably won't miss him. He's seen as like an amazing actor, but no one I ever talked to ever says like, "Oh, my favorite actor." Daniel Day-Lewis you know he, he seems a really good one but no one ever cites him as I, t- I did watch an interview with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and he did say his favourite actor was Daniel Day-Lewis and I was actually surprised when I watched it because as you said you never hear anybody no. say it's always like oh, you know when they talk about uh, heavyweights um, especially of method acting you always mention like Robert De, um, Robert De Niro and, yeah. uh, but when you talk about Daniel Day-Lewis he technically is the greatest actor of all time because he's, he's won three Academy Awards for Best Acting, uh, which nobody else has done. Apart from Catherine Hepburn. Uh, well, the, a, a male actor, male, sorry, I should yeah, say. A male actor. Um, he is the, supposed to be the best actor of, of all time. And it is he really? I mean, c- can you say no, no, hand on heart no. that uh, of all the performances he's done? Because as you said before... You, you you wouldn't miss him if he went. I think maybe that is because he's quite reclusive and he's quite selective with the films that he does. I think he, so. I think that's what it is. But at the end of the day, the big point that we're missing here is he's coming back. Yeah, he's yeah, done yeah, this before. Yeah. Daniel De Lewis. He became a cobbler in Switzerland, didn't he? Belgium. It's Italy. It's, he went to Italy to make shoes for a little while. I don't know, maybe midlife crisis, some kind. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. But either way, he came back, and I think I don't think you've seen the last of Daniel Do, 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 do you want to be horrifically cynical here? But that this might be a PR stunt as well. Do you know what I mean? Just to get another Oscar. <laughs> well, you know, just just drum up a little bit of you know talk, not PR, but just can everyone please talk about me, please? I don't know. He's no, never seen like no, a publicity no. seeker. Oh yeah, actors. Not <laughs> 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 everyone with the uh, same brush. He, he is a bit of a recluse, a notorious recluse, and I understand he is a bit of bit, bit hammy. There is some of the Laurence Olivier about him. Yeah, talented actor, but really capable of hamming it up to an exceptional. Yeah. Well, I mean, career. so I think it was Gangs of New York. Um, he was going through intense preparation for it. It might have been the wrong film because I was reading a, a piece about him about five years ago, and uh, said he uh, contracted um, pneumonia. I think it was, and he refused to go to a hospital right. to to sort himself out because he said that I wouldn't have had this treatment uh, when you know Gangs of New York was set. So why should I go and get treated now? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, apart from the fact that, that you might die, uh, yeah. that's a pretty good reason. But it, it's, it seems that he takes stuff to the extreme sometimes. And you mentioned about there will be blood before. I was reading an interview with Paul uh, Dano. Is it Dano or Dano? I say Dano. Paul Dano. I say Dano. Danone? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Paul, Paul Dano, anyway, uh, he was saying that during that scene and uh, the bowling, 
Um, Daniel Day-Lewis was uh, well, there was actually fear on Paul Dano's face because Daniel Day-Lewis was actually chucking <laughs> real life bowling balls at him which was completely unscripted but Daniel Day-Lewis was so in character that he was doing that and then as soon as action was called Paul Dano was like what, you know, what are you doing throwing bowling balls at me you, you mentalist and he didn't stop he just kept on going <laughs> well that's the thing he didn't he, he kept on going you know he was, he was so in the scene I, I've, I've, I've read an interview with them. Um, like production assistants and people who are working in costume and makeup who've said that they've spoken to him or tried to speak to him during the film and they thought he was the most rude, arrogant uh, man that they've ever met. And then as soon as the rap party comes, they're like, hang on, who the hell is this guy? Who's this chatty, lovely, quiet man? You know, it's... Uh, I think the amount of film stars that we love that you know if we knew what they're actually like on sets yeah. we would you know yeah. apparently Ben Kingsley is just apparently gets people kicked off sets for saying for, for, for not calling him Sir Ben I, I have heard bad things yeah, about Ben Kingsley or, I love Ben Kingsley it's like maybe I don't want to know these things you know mm. I, I, for, for Ben Kingsley we're getting a bit off topic here <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, news, yeah. it's been it's been, a, it's been a while I should say since I've seen a, 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 a Ben Kingsley advertised in a film and I've gone ooh I've got to go and see that film Probably 2002, Sexy, sexy Beast. Beast. I was going to say yeah. Sexy Beast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's been a long time. Oh, no, Prince of Persia. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, so anyway, that was our news of the week. Going. Is it more Marvel? It is more Marvel, <laughs> yeah. But it's not just Marvel taking over the big screen, it's Marvel taking over the little screen. Right. So Netflix, um, specifically. Netflix. Right, so it's all of those ones that have the, the Luke Cage. Luke Cage, the, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Iron Fist. Iron Fist, yeah. yeah. Uh, which coincidentally is Joel's porn pseudonym. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so, so this is all the guys coming together, and uh, it's the, basically it's they're going to be fighting one big baddie. Um, so. It, it, to, to me, it, it just seems a, it's a, it's a bit much the show in itself. Do you think? I, yeah. I, I do, to be honest. I mean, it, it's one thing doing with, it with the films, but when you're doing like twenty odd episodes series, um, you, you've got four there already. Then you're going to have a fifth one, bringing them all together, and then they're going to go off and have uh, you know more um, sequels. More. They are doing, I believe, Punisher has got a show oh, in the works. Joking, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did read somewhere that they were going to try and do a, a, a Ghost Rider one as well. But I'm sure I read somewhere like the Punisher is going to be like a lot more graphic and visceral and all that type of stuff. Like 18, right? It, yeah, was, like it was fairly hardcore in the bits I saw in Dead. It? it was, yeah. yeah. It was a new level of violence, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah, mm. pretty brutal for a, for a Netflix show. Yeah, there, there was there was a couple of really grim bits in it, especially, well, I think, in the first episode or the second episode, somebody gets their head caved in in a car door. And bearing in mind, you know, you're used to watching Iron Man and, and Spider Man, and everything's yeah. a bit like kind of cartoony and happy, and uh, you don't really see any pain. Yeah. And then that happens, and you're like, oh, but hell. Um, but I, we're getting off topic we I, need to talk about how terrible the poster is what, what's bad about the poster then? it's literally four people just stood there black and white with the word defenders written underneath them right and that's it that, that, so that's just a photo yeah that's to promote the new kind of uh, hotly anticipated show you've got these four kind of superhero shows that have been a big success uh, and now they're bringing together to make one super show you want to really sell it Hard. You want to be like this is a show that you've got to see, and the poster that they go with is just all four of them stood there looking at the camera. Hmm. 
Yeah. To be honest with you, I I wouldn't have even known it was something to do with the shows. That could have just been taken. You know, someone could have surprised the four of them. Right. Comic Con. Yeah, comic if it weren't yeah. for the fact that Charlie Cox, Matt Murdock, Daredevil was wearing sunglasses, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't have had a clue. I, I'm not the target audience anyway. I just couldn't care less. Like, I'm never. I'm definitely not going to see it. I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I'm actually going to boycott superhero stuff. Like I might not go and see the Spider Man film. To be honest, Oof, that's I harsh. I know. I just. <laughs> Don't look at me like that, Joel. <laughs> like, I, I, I genuinely just can't take it anymore. Iron Man 3 was the, the last straw for me, and I've since watched films since then, and I've never... in like I, I honestly thought when the superhero film, I thought it peaked about six years ago, and we're so far past that point now that, like... Oh, I, don't know. I can't take it. I yeah, take I do it. think there's been so, there has been some guff since then, uh, yeah. especially with Marvel, because it's quite formulaic. It seems to follow the same pattern. You've got, you know, you kind of... Your hero, they discover the powers... They have, you know, a fight with a protagonist or an antagonist, sorry, uh, who, you know, overpowers them. Then they've got to go back and learn how yeah. to use their powers properly. And then, you know, it's, it seems to be the same thing over and over I, and over I've again. I've no problem with it either. I've just, I'm just tired of a genre now. You know, I'm just honestly, I just do, do I, I'm not interested, you know. So, yeah. I, I do yeah, think cool. that there are better things out there than Iron Man 3. Yeah. But you know what brought that down? Our mate Sir Ben again. That's that, that's what the problem is. So yeah, it wasn't all Sir Ben's fault, was it? Oh, it was Sir just ben. a terrible <laughs> script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it not helped. Was he in it? <laughs> he was. <laughs> he played the Mandarin, the main bad guy. Or the well, supposedly. I thought Guy Pierce was. Uh, well, yeah, he ended up being. I totally that was forgotten. <laughs> totally forgotten. Sir Ben was in there. See, the, the thing that made it even more painful for me to watch is the fact that I was actually going to watch it for Joel's birthday. And uh, he didn't actually pitch up to me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was just sat in the I was say, You're never going to have a good time there, are you? <laughs> <laughs> like one of the many birthday parties that Joel hasn't pitched up to of his own. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so uh, moving on now to the main event. Uh, this is Films on Trial. Dun, 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 dun. Um, so. <laughs> This week's film, sorry, just uh, spontaneous. We, we, we didn't all agree that. <laughs> that was we'll, just me. We'll discuss it off air. <laughs> that was me just getting full of excitement. And, uh, and three guys looking at you confused. <laughs> so, this week's film on trial is Star Wars 4 A New Hope. Star Wars 1, technically. Star Wars, one. yeah, 1, technically. Um, so, is it uh, A New Hope or is it? An old pile of garbage. That's that's what we're going to decide today. But before we do, I thought we'd go on to one of our new features of the show, which is called Quiz Dave. Quiz Dave. Uh, oh, what? <laughs> is this going to become a regular thing? It, it, is, is, it is. So this is something else that we didn't discuss beforehand. But I think it went down so well last week um, that I thought, why not bring it back again? So um, as we were sat here before you arrived, Dave, we were watching Star Wars 4 and New Hope. And... Um, I accidentally said Star Wars for a new hole, uh, and we thought that would be a funny uh, porn parody, um, and that reminds us of the film Zack and Miri Make a Porno, in which the, the premise is they make a Star Wars porno. Uh, so the quiz here is can you guess the character names from that porno? So we're going to start off with the first one is... So, so I need to give you the Star Wars equivalent? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, so... so, so uh, No, no, I, I'll give you the uh, the... Star Wars name, and you've got to tell you've got to guess what the porn equivalent was. I've never seen Zach and Mary make a we, porn. We, we, we can guess, or or, yeah. or should we do it the other way? No, do do. Okay, right. Okay. So Han Solo, Han Job Solo, Hung <laughs> <laughs> uh, Solo. Ow. What about? Okay, it's, it's an easier one. Princess Leia. 
Princess Gonalaya. Oh, hey, good. That would make a good part of the football uh, film. Though. Princess Leia. Uh, okay, um, what about uh, Darth Vader? <laughs> Darth Vibrator. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Right. What about R two D two? Nah. Not gonna get no. No, no you're, uh, I'm not gonna get one. It's gonna be hard. This one R two T bag. Nice. Oh, yes. Yeah. Nice. Uh, right. Oh, oh, I t- tell you what. Th- these are all gonna get quite quite difficult now. Um, I- I'll tell you this one. <laughs> you gotta guess what it is. On your knees, bend over. Oh, we won't get And uh, this is probably my favourite one. Lube skyball her. <laughs> Is, is there a Grand Moff Merkin? <laughs> no, so well done, Dave. You got one out of about seven. But uh, that was a particularly hard one this week, I think. It was. But uh, what a hard one, eh? Yeah, eh? yeah we keep on coming. <laughs> anyway, so moving on, this is obviously uh, uh, the film on trial, Star Wars. And today's judge is going to be the hopefully impartial Dave. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be as impartial as humanly possible about this this film, this this classic sci-fi film that we're about to review. Hey, that doesn't sound impartial. <laughs> oh no, it's completely impartial, completely impartial. Uh, okay, so just to give everyone a quick synopsis about what this film's about. Basically, uh, it's set in space in a galaxy far, far away, mm. and it's essentially a tale of good versus evil, rebels trying to take down the evil galactic empire, and, and it's just fantastic. It's just, I mean, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's, it, it'll be what it'll be. Yeah, I mean, make your own minds up. Uh, <laughs> so, leading the prosecution of this classic sci-fi. <laughs> Classic as in from the seventies, not as in necessarily good. Will be Gavin, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be me. Um, so the first point I would like to uh, use to try and um, take this classic sci-fi film down a peg or they, they, two. They can't hear your uh, ironic quotation. <laughs> I was quotating quite hard. Uh, so hopefully, you know, this will take it down a peg or two. Deservedly, I might add, because I personally think the film isn't as good as everyone says it is yeah that's right that's right uh, so the first point I'm going to make is the characters um, so when you talk about Star Wars you think about great characters okay you've got like a wide variety of different characters there you've got Luke who's like the plucky underdog who learns his powers and takes on the Empire you've got Darth Vader who's this big baddie ruler of all badass will kill and destroy anything in his path You've got Han Solo, who's this kind of cocksure, Clint Eastwood-type Western figure. And then you've got Princess Leia, who's this rebellious leader, who is a, like, an icon for, for uh, feminism and for power, and it's all great. But I, I knew there was a book coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's all bullshit. It's, it's, wow. it's Yeah, I'm going pretty hard on this one. Well, not really the language of a common law, but yeah. <laughs> you are there. I call bullshit. <laughs> it, they're all they're all memories that you have. They're all you kind of you've made them yourself, and not only have you like kind of. Uh, imagine them as in you, you look back at something that was really great decades ago and you say hey wasn't that film that I watched when I was nine years old brilliant and then you go back and watch it and go ooh ooh no it wasn't no no just got the rose tinted specs on and it seems like everyone is wearing those same rose tinted glasses 
and that they paint these characters in such a light that they are icons when really if you go back and you dissect it and you watch it and you break those characters down there's nothing really to them Luke is probably the most bland character in a, in, a, in a blockbuster movie I think I've ever seen. He spends the entire film whining and moaning. And like the fact that he basically learns how to become a Jedi overnight, it may seem. Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's this wise old figure, it, it, it isn't wise at all. He makes it about two sort of sentences that seem like they are wise, but it, it, most of the time he just seems tired. It just seems like he can't be bothered. Han Solo is another one who seems like he really can't be bothered. He's kind of quite lackadaisical most of the time. A bit arrogant. And he doesn't really do that much. And then Princess Leia, talking about not doing any much. She does absolutely nothing. She's she's not the kind of... I mean, maybe it's later on. Maybe it's, you know, like Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. When their true personality and their true spirit come forward. But... In uh, Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope, once again, it's the same damsel in distress, which we've seen a thousand times before. It's There's no real character to it. She's just put there. The sole female character in the film is there because she needs saving by the big men. And that's it. That, that, that is it. When you look at the other characters, I mean, as I said before, it's not so much sexism in, in the film. It's just that there's no women in there. We always talk about that test that you can do where uh, the, the, the mark of a, a non-sexist film is if there's two female characters who talk for a minute, um, uninterrupted, uh, not about a man. And, well, that doesn't even happen because there isn't even two women in it. It's, it's, I mean, I can think of her and, and the old auntie at the beginning. <laughs> and that's, that's it, really. And Darth Vader, I mean, I said before um, about characters, there's sort of some real racial undertones here. The fact that there's no black actors in the entire film. The only one who could be considered black is Darth Vader because he's he's dressed in black and he's voiced by James L. Jones, who's one of you know uh, the, the greatest African American voiceover artists of all time. But then two films later, you find out, oh no, take off his mask and he's just an old white guy from Yorkshire. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I just think the characters are really weak and they are not as great as everyone remembers them. Okay, okay. There's some food for thought there. Um, in defence, I believe we have Joel this week. I mean, Joel, you have anything to ship? You don't have to if you don't want to. Would you, would you, would you care to ship your hand down and your gas pointer? Um, I don't really think I need to, to be honest. Uh, I think you do. I think you do. I mean, that's not how just, court works. Just for the purpose of the podcast, let's do this. Let's just get through it. Let's just... I just uh, the bat TV show, like um, Grumpy Old Men, where they complain about stuff, just kind of comes to mind there. Whoa, 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 whoa! Listen, man, not that old. Um, well, yeah, I mean, the characters are meant to be that way. Like, Luke is whiny and stuff, but it's literally a hero's journey. That's what Star Wars is about, so he starts that way. But, I mean, we're not talking about Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi, but by Return of the Jedi, he's not that way. And you also said about him kind of learning the Force overnight, which it doesn't really happen either, um, because in Empire Strikes Back... Um, obviously Vader defeats him and he goes to, to Yoda to train um, and there's no real kind of major force abilities in this other than maybe um, kind of closing his eyes and doing taking the targeting assistance thing off to destroy the Death Star at the end but I wouldn't really say that's becoming a Jedi um, so 
if you want to call bullshit, you know, I'd probably say half of what you said is bullshit. But what I'm saying is that training scene where he's, he's, he's basically learning how to use the lightsaber. Everyone can nobody tells him to just close his eyes and just feel it. And he does, I think in the second attempt, he's able to, to uh, get... Uh, to able to defend these bullets that are coming towards him just because he's thinking about it. I mean, well, like, well yeah, but it's it's literally as uh, Han Solo says, it's one thing doing it with a training droid, it's another thing in real life. So just because he can do it against the training droid doesn't mean like he's mastered it. It's just kind of got the basics down. So that, that ten plus, million to one shot that he was able to defend all three bullets. Plus, you've got to remember it is a film, so they're not going to show you like the whole. 17 hour training sequence that hey, I take it back now I thought I was watching a documentary oh my God, it's been valid. Did, did you want like a Rocky-esque montage of him training but more than like 40 seconds of screen time to be honest maybe a, a passage of time uh, the other characters you know I think again sexism is is clutched at straws big time when the, the main hero, heroine is obviously female um, she is the leader of the rebellion. Is a very strong female character. Um, pretty much at, for that time as well, nineteen seventy-seven. Probably sexism is still pretty high. Um, Bear in mind, it's two thousand and seventeen, and sexism in films is still very, very <laughs> high. <laughs> well, yeah, but in general society, it, it's it was know, more. It, it, yeah, it was accepted. It, yeah, more, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so at that time, definitely, I would say that's a really strong point. You've got Han Solo, who's kind of, um, you know, he's kind of like the cool outlaw type of thing, almost like an like an anti-hero to some degree. Um, and I just think they all work together, like, really well. And then you mentioned uh, Obi-Wan, who, they don't flesh him out too much, but as the kind of uh, trilogy goes on, you do kind of learn a bit more about him. And, you know, just that iconic scene where... You know, he says, like, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can imagine or whatever it is. I just think that's, you know, like a really, really kind of powerful scene and, um, you know, kind of sets the tone then for for the rest of the movie and the force and all that type of stuff. So I think Star Wars is, like I said, a hero's journey. And I think all the characters are there for a reason and they act the way they do for a reason as well. Okay, okay. So I'm hearing accusations of two-dimensionality from, from Gav, and there's a pretty strong rebuttal from Joel. Mm. Alex, you are the impartial witness, impartial, the character completely witness. impartial. You are supposed to sway me I, on the correct path. You are my Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't <laughs> strike him down. <laughs> I feel as impartial as you are, in a way, Dave. I okay, feel, yeah. okay, okay. But, uh, no, I would... I, like I, To be honest, listening to both points, I do actually see a lot of what Gav's saying when he says that like the characters don't live up to the legend like I, like I think I came to Star Wars a little bit later than most people so they were already iconic characters in my head and so when I watched the films often it felt like they didn't live up to my expectations it was a bit strange it was a bit like oh but where's that scene and why aren't they doing that you know so I do know I do know what Gav means like the characters don't quite live up to their own legend almost and I would say that, like, Luke is a shit cipher. You know, I mean, with the, we're, we're, he's the one we're meant to project ourselves on, right, to navigate this world. But no one wants to project themselves onto just a whiny dick. <laughs> you know, it, it's just... He, 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 he does get better throughout the films, but in this film, I just find... I think it's the way Mark Hamill does it. He's not confident in the role yet. And he just... Yeah, I don't know. It's just like... 
I, I, my eyes just shy away from him throughout the whole film. I just can't quite get behind him. But but having said that, I have to say, the, like the characters are completely iconic. Like the, you just know those characters really well, and somehow even for, in a short amount of fil- film, you do know the characters really well. So like you know you do know layers sort of you know in charge, but also very you know protected growing up you do know that Luke you know uh, but you know you know Obi-Wan I think Obi-Wan's character isn't fleshed out but it doesn't matter because it's Alec Guinness you know he doesn't need to fle- you know it's just a, he he'll can, he can carry it and the last thing I'll say is character wise Han Solo makes up for everything in my mind like mainly through Harrison Ford and his ad-libbing and adding those little touches in that make the film really a lot more watchable for me so yeah, I would say character-wise, they are massively iconic. I know, I know what Gav means, but Harrison Ford, Han Solo—it's just you know. Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. That's given me a lot to think about. Look at me. Look at me making notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Gavin. What is the second point you want to uh, okay. change up? The second point. <laughs> right, bear, bear in mind, uh, I do feel that a lot of my points that I just made there were just completely ignored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sexism, the racism? No, no, it doesn't matter. I mean, Han Solo's cool, man, yeah. <laughs> uh, right, so the second point I want to talk about is the plot, which I think isn't that great. Once again, it's one of those things that you think it's a lot better uh, you know, in hindsight, but actually, when you go back and watch it, it's very, very drawn out. Uh, the bits that you think are like, very iconic, the bits that you think uh, are kind of standout pieces of the film, a few and far between. There's a lot of kind of filler. I think. I mean, you watch it. It starts off with uh, Vader uh, coming on board the, um, the the Princess Leia ship, and then there is a long time until something notable actually happens. I mean, what would you say the, the most notable part that, that happens next? Say, um, uh, uh, Luke Skywalker's auntie and uncle being killed. Well, you mean after C-3PO and R2-D2 yeah, yeah. get jetsoned off the spaceship? Yeah. Uh, possibly them being attacked by Jawas, R2-D2 being abducted by Jawas, maybe? <laughs> I wouldn't really say that was that was notable. Hey, this is impartial, okay, right? The first time you see the sandcrawler is quite iconic, right? Okay, right. Yeah, that, I, I'm I'm not having a, a, an argument with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I realised that the judge that is completely that was a bad opening. The, questions the, the, the judge is just uh, <laughs> uh, you, you've accepted a bribe from Joel. I'm not having any of this. Backing up your ideas with facts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, right, all I'm saying. Is that right? Those iconic scenes that you're talking about, they they do not happen as close together as you think they do. And there's a lot of drawn out parts. Uh, I mean, the the right the plot itself. The the biggest issue for me is that a lot of it doesn't really make sense. Uh, there are a lot of plot holes as well that I think people just gloss over because hey, it's Star Wars. The first one I'm going to say happens within the first five minutes of the film, which is um, Darth Vader, as I said before. Him and the stormtroopers, um, they uh, st- they raid uh, Princess Leia's ship. Uh, Princess Leia puts a piece of uh, information into R2-D2 and puts him and C-3PO into an escape pod and sends them off the ship so they can relay the message somewhere else. Now, for some reason, uh, the stormtroopers see this escape pod leaving the ship and they decide not to fire on it because there's no life forms on, on board. I mean, if that would have been me, I would have been like, oh, oh yeah, okay, well, there's no life forms on board, but there could be about 80 
different files of information or incriminating evidence that are stacked up there, we should blow it up anyway. I mean, maybe the issue is, hey, do you know how much it costs to build a Death Star? I mean, we're trying to save money here. We can't be firing laser beams willy-nilly. And Which leads me on to another topic, the Death Star itself. This is a weapon bigger than a planet. I mean... I just, you know, that is just unfathomable to me. I mean, I can understand a giant kind of Death Star that was just a, a big ship, but something that is bigger than the moon, uh, something that's bigger than the planet Earth, to me, that is just ridiculous. How long must that have taken to build? How many people must it have taken to build? I mean, where do you even source the materials from for something the size of a planet? You can't just say, oh, we found it lying around another planet. I mean, you know, and how much money must that thing actually have costed? And the, th- the big thing, I'm sorry for the spoilers, but everybody knows this, is right at the very end, it's blown up because it has a floor, which is, what, what, what's, what's the floor again? It's an it's a, a, a exhaust, exhaust pipe. pipe. It's an open exhaust pipe on this giant planet, this open exhaust pipe. It's it's like it's like me I don't know throwing a, a grenade into a, a swamp on Earth and the whole thing blowing up. That's <laughs> pretty much what it is. <laughs> doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, I mean, apart, apart from that, I think you know, as I said before, the iconic scenes are a bit few and far between. It's quite drawn out to me. It was quite boring, if I'm going to be honest. Um, and the dialogue, it, it once again is very drawn out. The, the dialogue between um, Luke Skywalker and his auntie and uncle at the beginning, it was painful to stick needles into my eyes. <laughs> and that is another point. Like, like, like we find out later on that Luke Skywalker is being hidden from Darth Vader for obvious reasons that we find out in the second film. Right now, if you wanted to hide somebody, the last remaining Jedi or somebody from the Jedi lineage, why would you hide them with their blood relatives <laughs> on the planet where the father came from? I don't even understand. That, 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 is, that to me is the biggest plot hole in cinematic history. The fact that Darth Vader is looking for any remaining Jedi's and he just doesn't think to look oh hang on what about my hometown what about you know the house that I, I was brought up in or you know the house that my, uh, my my brother owns or whatever okay okay do you have more points to go on to yeah, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that because I'm so irate I'm going to pause it there even if you do have more points just so Joel can throw in a rebuttal into a few of these before, yeah. before there's too long a list rebut that pal okay well first point who watches a film and thinks how much money would that actually cost? Me! I mean, <laughs> that is not the point of the reason. If you're watching it and thinking that, then you're missing the whole concept of the film in its entirety, if that's like what you take away from the film. Um, and just to pick up a few of the points, so the Death Star being blown up, it was a thermal exhaust port which leads to um, a thermal reactor or something like that which oh that, that's I, I take it all back now that makes perfect sense <laughs> no but it was designed that way which was a flaw which was put in there on purpose when did we find this information out well in a in a later film but that oh, in a later is, film yeah 40, 40 years later did we find this information out <laughs> but possibly that, because people kept shooting them down for this <laughs> right we'll shut them up <laughs> Um, and then going on from the other points so we've got obviously Luke um, being on Tatooine which Darth Vader doesn't realise I think that was fleshed out slightly as well Um, I think Darth Vader didn't go there because 
he didn't want any memories of being Anakin, which is obviously where he grew up, and he wanted to avoid that place because it reminds him of Anakin Skywalker. And also, Darth Vader isn't actually aware that A, he's had children, or B, that they were twins. Because if you... Spoiler. If you think about it, like... Um, <laughs> Padme or whatever she's called, she kind of leaves Anakin and then, you know, dies in childbirth um, and Darth Vader, like, isn't actually aware of that, so he's not actively searching for him, he's not aware that he exists at that point, which is why he never goes to Tatooine, uh, you well, know, to find him. Are these actual facts, or is this just kind of assumptions? Are you just assuming I'm pretty this? sure that these are actual facts. This was pretty much covered in Revenge of the Sith, was it? Or? So, uh, only only the 30 years later. <laughs> what? Um, what else have I'm, we got? I'm talking about this film as a film, as an individual film, not Yeah, but, as then, but then you don't know that Darth Vader is searching for him, do you, in this film? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do a break there, it's just all to silence from <laughs> That wasn't bad editing, that was simply. Hey! (laughs) Don't be a lawyer, Gav, for (laughs) Christ's sake. Alright, so so then we've got the escape pod, which I can see both sides of this, to be honest. It's an escape pod, they say it's malfunctioned and there could be life on it, so just don't destroy it. And if you're in your job and it was a choice between destroying something or not destroying something, you're probably uh, on the safe side and not destroy it. Unless you're, unless you're a sociopath. Yeah, well, unless you work for a galactic evil empire. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't his job. He was a stormtrooper. He was somebody that was brought onto that ship to destroy stuff. You know, he sees an escape pod going. He's, <laughs> he's going like, to yeah. blow that up. Yeah, but what if he had blown it up and there'd been important stuff in there and then Darth Vader just, like, kills them off? So later on in the film, when Darth Vader goes, the evidence we're looking for isn't on this film I think the, the guy turns around and says ooh actually Darth um, an escape pod launched just after you arrived on the ship you know and he's like oh you divvy that's p- probably full of the evidence isn't it and then you know so, so exactly later on Darth Vader's saying yeah we probably should have blown that shit up but again it's not really a plot hole it's just one of those things as I say could, you could go either way with that um, but anyway moving on from that so the rest of the the plot, I think it's, I think it's good. You know, I think there are kind of bits where stuff doesn't happen, but it's the same in kind of several stellar films. If you're talking something like Lord of the Rings, there's kind of several films where they just walk in around the forest, just chatting, and it, it's just how they flesh the characters out, how they give them all story, like how you relate to them a bit and all that type of stuff. So I don't think it has to go from set piece to set piece um, because it, well, it doesn't, but. The set pieces in the film are re- really memorable. You've got stuff like, um, like you know, the first time you see, pretty much the first time you see like Tatooine. You've got like all the Jawas, um, like all the sets and all that type of stuff are really kind of unique. Then you've got like the Death Star, um, but like set pieces, you've got like the the bit in like the trash can where like they're getting crushed. Uh, you've got like the the lightsaber fight between uh, Obi Wan and Darth Vader. You've got um, you know the, the battle with the Death Star at the end so there are really memorable set pieces as well and these are kind of set pieces that um, pretty much everybody everybody would remember from that film it's not like I'm just kind of clutching at straws these are just like really memorable points within the film itself 
Um, and it's just as well, I don't think it's, um, you know, like a typical good versus evil type of setup. I think it's a hero story, and like some people claim that it's been done before, but I think a lot of people followed the formula that Star Wars laid down. I don't think they were copying other kind of templates and things like that from films. I think a lot of kind of films after that took um, that kind of formula from Star Wars. Obviously, you've got like kind of obvious influences there and all that type of stuff, but um, overall, I think it, it fits together really well. And you know, I don't think any film is flawless, but you know, Star Wars is Star Wars at the end of the day. Star Wars is Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, w- I want to hear from, from Alex. Before we go You've on, had your time, go. <laughs> I just want to say about that fact where you say I don't think Star Wars copied off anything and it was quite original. I'm pretty sure that it's well-renowned that Star Wars robbed a lot of its set pieces and direction from Akira Kurosawa. I, I which have film? heard before which one of it was... was Influenced by Kurosawa. The Hidden Fortress. Hmm. But hey, hey, don't, hey, wait, because I'm going to cover that a bit later on. Okay, okay, we'll hear from you in good time. <laughs> I want to hear from Alex. Okay, so Gav has, has proposed that there's plot holes in, in this sci fi genre and, and it, it ruins the effect of the film yeah. and the plot's not driven. Joel's come up with some fairly good rebuttals to that. Alex, where do you stand on this? Um, I'm going to have to go with Joel on this one, actually. Uh, I'm going to say that um, normally I'm all for overanalyzing films and going right into the details and you know not 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 letting it get away with anything. But uh, the, you know the plot holes about you know the Death Star being that you know the Death Star's just got to blow up. It's just got to blow up at the end. You know it's just going to blow up. So we've got to find a way of blowing it up because it has to blow up. You know, and you know all the other things about you know the, uh, yeah you know they have to get off the ship. So they're just going to get off the ship and he's not going to blow it because it just you know because that's what's going to happen. The, the the small plot holes you can find in everything I think, and if you look too closely at them, you you forget that there's a bigger plot going over and the big plot of Star Wars is just it's it's a really good one that spans I think what span makes it span so many films is because it's that whole discovery through Luke Skywalker finding out this whole universe with him and then it going into him you know going into that universe and changing things that's just the overarching plot not the little small plot details but that overarching plot is just something that can sustain you through quite a few films so I'm going to go definitely go with Joel on that one. Not, not yeah, you. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. I've got to admit, yeah, I'm, I don't feel the plot holes bring much. To, you've got to suspend your disbelief with mm. this film to a degree, anyway. Just given the subject matter. I've suspended my disbelief 180 degrees, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on to our next point. You said there was something in Joel's last argument that you wanted to bring up, Gav. Something that tied in with uh, one of your points. Well, I wanted to bring up direction and George Lucas as a director. Uh, I mean, I will agree with Joel in the fact that some of those set pieces that you see, especially the first time you're introduced to Tatooine, are really, really iconic, really good to look at visually as well. However, we've seen it before, as I mentioned before. Uh, I do believe that George Lucas borrowed heavily from a number of classic uh, samurai films, uh, most notably The Hidden Fortress. And there's a lot of kind of scenes that when you play them side to side... Uh, strikingly similar so when you were saying before Joel about Star Wars doing something really original and something we'd never seen before the fact is that we had seen it before almost 20 years previously um, and it's not just that I think Lucas as a director himself he gets too carried away with things 
I don't think he can handle comedy at all very well. Um, the scenes that, that are comedy are almost like kind of very goofy. Um, it, it, it's not like kind of dialogue, uh, and it, it's nothing that kind of the, the the scenes to me that are the funniest are the ones that are driven by the actors themselves. Like you were saying, uh, Harrison Ford brings a lot of charisma to that role, and his one-liners and his attitude that is funny. But that's not George Lucas directing it; that's Han Solo acting it. And you could argue that uh, George Lucas is telling him to do that, but I don't think that's the case. I think if you would have had somebody else in that Han Solo role, it wouldn't have been the same. That was made for Harrison Ford, and Harrison Ford brought that comedy and that presence to that character. With the other uh, parts of the um, production, as I said earlier, I do think it's quite slow-paced. Um, the scenes seem to drag on. I mean, as I said earlier, there are visually striking um, set pieces, but I do think that they linger too much. You see something like if you remember, like Lawrence of Arabia, that, that you know the, when the camera pans across the desert. That the first time you see that, it was absolutely brilliant, striking to see on the big screen. But if that would have gone on for another three minutes, you would have thought, okay, it's it's dragging on a bit. And that is what Star Wars does. It kind of takes something that's really nice and then it just extends it to the point where I'm thinking, okay, let, let's move on now. Okay, you, you're taking a bit long here. Also, um, like the kind of the breaks between those scenes, uh, if it was something like kind of, um, it, it, you know, it, it, a smooth transition. So we have a really striking scene of, um, what's, what's the, name, the name of the planet? Tatooine. And then, you know, it, it, it just, you know, you've got a new scene right away. It goes to um, Uncle Ben and Auntie Mary or whatever the names are. It goes to their house. Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I, I've let you get away with a lot of inaccuracies on this off. Listen, listen, mate. Uh, 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 George Lucas' direction was so poor, it bored me a lot of the time. So I, I didn't pay attention to the small details like character names. Um, but if it was to just transition smoothly, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. You know, that that would be good for me. It would be you know nice to see. However, the kind of um, the changes in in scene are, are almost like a kind of uh, 1995 Microsoft Office PowerPoint. That's like which, given this was 1977. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I know. So it might have been futuristic, but looking back at it now, it's it's very dated. You look at other films around that era; they don't use that sort of transitional uh, footage. It just it, it looks a bit off. It looks like it's it's been done by somebody by themselves as a sort of A level project. It doesn't really look that great in the direction. I think it just could have it could have been better. It could have been a smoother transition. And when we're talking about George Lucas himself. The version that I saw was one of the many, many re-releases of it, which is, to me, a main issue, a main gripe, is the fact that George Lucas just can't leave it alone. You know, maybe he did create something beautiful and original and iconic in 1977, but he should have left it alone. He should have just left it as it was. He shouldn't have gone back so many times to that well. I mean, he has drained that well. <laughs> he has dug beneath that well, and now it's just scraping <laughs> sand and bone and blood. Uh, <laughs> what kind of wells have you <laughs> <laughs> No, man. Do not want to drink near those wells. Uh, you know, it, it's, so, so some, of the, some of the things that uh, it just... And inappropriate and just unrealistic and unnecessary CGI and special effects, little sort of alien creatures just walking across the scene, which took you know added nothing to that scene but took a lot away from it. You are instantly kind of drawn away 
from the beautiful set pieces by something stupid and goofy happening in the bottom right hand corner. It might be like a CGI alien or something, or you know, is is a, a CGI tree at one point. There's just unnecessary special effects put into it, which really, really kind of dampen the original. Okay, okay. I want to hear what Joel's got to say on this one. So I guess in this instance we're talking about, to a degree, production value with editing, with cinematography, also Lucas's direction. I suppose his role as a producer as well could be brought into play here. And as Gab has touched on the uh, the, the re-editions of Star Wars, the uh, the added bits that have come along. You got anything to say on those, Joel? Well, it kind of seems a little bit more as a prosecution against George Lucas to be fair rather than mostly Star Wars but some points I do agree with um, but then like the re-editions I think when you've got a classic film you, you always kind of get like these remastered versions where um, the director puts in the director's cut shall we say and George Lucas has pretty much done that he does mess about with stuff and obviously Star Wars has got like a die-hard following and it doesn't always go down well such as the kind of who shot this thing with, with Greedo and, and Han. Um, so there are kind of little bits and bobs like that, which which maybe just shouldn't have been messed about with. But, you know, it, it came from his mind. He's created a masterpiece. You know, there's so many things in there, which I just think, like, how did he even think of stuff like that? Like, I think lightsabers for me are probably the coolest weapon for <laughs> anything like that in a, a movie. Same with the Force, you know, although it's kind of almost like telekinesis, like a, a superpower type of thing, you know, the way he kind of fits it in uh, with, like, lightsabers and Sith and Jedi and all that type of stuff. I just think it's, like, absolute genius, really. And then you've got kind of other bits that he's fleshed out. He's created, like, an entire, not just, like, a planet. He's created, like, a universe, basically. You've got things like Wookiees, Jawas, you know, you've got all these other alien life forms. You've got, like... Blasters, you've got the Death Star, the Millennium Falcon, you've got like X-Wings, Y-Wings, all this type of stuff. It's kind of like, um, you know, J.R. Tolkien with Lord of the Rings, kind of, he's just brought like a whole universe to life, really, and I think that's what kind of the sign of a genius is, and I do think George Lucas, at that time, he wasn't like, he wasn't like an established director or anything like that, he just kind of came into it, and he had a lot of uh, constraints on him, he didn't um, always get his own way and know like especially for uh, A New Hope he wanted different bits and bobs going in and he had like board members and all that type of stuff conflicting with him which um, could be for better or for worse but I just think at the end of the day it, it came out the way it did and um, you know I think that the film's a lot better off for that really so I think it's one of them where you can criticise it but you know it's a masterpiece really it is interesting when you think that George Lucas as well as being the director is the creative driving force of this film it doesn't happen often No. and you've got to wonder maybe that's why he relinquished the helm for Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi onto other directors maybe so he could stay in more of a creative role well, yeah um, I want to hear from you Alex on these points you've heard good points from I've heard good points from both yeah no um, I, you know I, I do I, I, I just need to Disagree with Joel on the Lucas like being constrained. I think Lucas needs to be constrained as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it needs to be constrained. I mean, just because just he was let loose and the you know the result was you know the Phantom Menace followed by Attack of the Clones. You know, so I, I, I think it was better. I think the films are much better for Lucas having been constrained a little bit. Uh, but I do agree with Joel when he says like, is it? It's you know. He, 
you do believe in the world. At no point could anyone, I don't think anyone could argue that you're not like, oh no, I'm not quite believing in the Star Wars universe. Like, you, the guy has obviously thought about this since he was probably four years old and has been creating this entire universe. Philosophy as well, is it too far to say with the Force? You know, he's, he's been creating it all, for good or bad, whatever, you do believe it's there. You know, it, everything is... It's almost like he's thought it through so much, it's just there. You know, and he doesn't need to go through, like, you know, all the, the blasters and all of that stuff. It's just there, you know, you don't need to go into it too much. So, yeah, no, I, I think on that point, I think um, Lucas really has, like, he does bring a whole galaxy to life, which, which, is, which is pretty good. I have to say though, in the film, it is slow paced. I do. I find myself every time I watch it, I just remember that bit at the start, like when Gav said, you know, in between. I know R two D two gets, but it's not. It's not really a good bit, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really very good. So I, there is a big period in, in at the start where you're just like, oh, what's going on? And then it's only when it kicks in. To be honest, again, I know I'm sounding like I'm in love with the guy, but as soon as Han Solo comes in, it's just like, boom, let's get Star Wars going. You know, like you know, here we go. Up until then, it is like, what on earth am I watching? Like, this seems really dull, you know? So, yeah, I don't think Lucas is a genius at all. I think he's as far away possible as you could. But I think he did, he does obviously have this incredibly huge world in his mind that others were very good and could bring to life, I think. So, uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I, it's difficult to know to agree with that, but I think I might... Joel's right it is just an incredible world that's been realised so yeah I'm going to go that way yeah. I, I would like to add that Joel was uh, mentioning about you know the Jedi and the Sith and the Force itself and I, I do think that my point of Lucas borrowing heavily from other inspirations hasn't really been covered the fact that if you go back and you watch The Hidden Fortress there are elements that are exactly the same there are scenes almost that are that identical you mentioned about Jedi, that's strikingly similar to Samurai. Sith, they're strikingly similar to Ronin. And even the Force itself is, um, is is heavily inspired by the teachings of Bushido. You know, these are all elements that have been covered in Akira Kurosawa's uh, um, uh, Samurai films of the, you know, 1950s. Thing, thing for me is, though, my favourite film is Magnificent Seven, which is literally based on a Akira Kurosawa film. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't really... Can't I feel like if I go on that one on Star Wars, then some of my favourite films are going to... Yeah, I've yeah. got to admit, I don't object to George Lucas taking influence from other no. films. I mean, at the end of the day, Akira Kurosawa, huge in Japan, arguably the greatest director Japan has produced, and he's a fantastic filmmaker... Would as many people in the West be familiar with Akira Kurosawa's work if it hadn't been for these links with Star Wars? Or, you know, I know that plenty of people would have heard of him, plenty of people would have seen his films, but I think it opened him up to a much wider audience. I, I, I just don't, I don't think any art just exists in a vacuum either. You know, it's always... Yeah, pretty, there's, always there's influences from somewhere all the time. And I think... I, I was never claiming that it all came from scratch, the concept in his head. I think like Jedi and Sith was loosely based on some type of religion as well. Um, and I've seen claims that like Stormtroopers and the Empire was kind of loosely based on, you know, the, the Nazis and like the Third Reich and all that type of stuff. But yeah. So I think there's obvious kind of influences everywhere, but it's one thing to, to have like Samurai Bushido and all that and it's another thing to lead to Jedi and Sith mm-hmm. yeah okay right so I think we've heard some main arguments from people I just want to hear any closing statements 
I might say Joel's closing statement first. <laughs> okay. I, I'm not sure if they can do this in the court law. I think no, we, need to, we need to look up our legal manuals. In fairness, <laughs> I don't want to go first. Gav has had to lead, and Joel has had to count. I'm, I'm quite happy to, to yeah, go first. I'll let Joel do this one. And I'm just going to stick the knife in between the ribs. Wow. Just shoot first. <laughs> <laughs> just finish off with, with the soundtrack. Um, and the, the score of pretty much not just A New Hope, which is what we're discussing, but Star Wars in general. I was saying to, to Alex just before we, we actually did this, you know, I don't think there's possibly any other film where most people could home, you know, between five to ten tracks off a soundtrack. I just don't think there is a film. Um, so I don't really think I need to flesh it out. You know, everybody knows the film. I don't think there's probably... A person alive, probably the tribes in the Amazon are walking around humming the the, the title tune to this. Um, I, yeah, you know that's just how good it is. You know, it's John Williams at, at his best, and you know it. It's yeah. What, what else can I say? More than that, <laughs> you're supposed to be giving a closing statement, and your only point is that the soundtrack's really good. But you know, like, I'm, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, okay, but my argument is he, he's giving a closing statement to this judge. Well. <laughs> he knows he doesn't have to. <laughs> but, but my argument is that. Um, it just because the soundtrack is good doesn't mean it's a good film. I mean, a case in point, Saturday Night Fever. That is a film that you can hum, as you said, uh, seven to ten songs from. Obviously, two. If two, I could probably do. Yeah, well, you're not everybody. <laughs> 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 to be honest, I could only two, probably... maybe one. Only. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I think you're grossly underselling the fantastic work of the Bee Gees and other seventies artists. <laughs> by the way, but okay. Um, and another example would be. Uh, I'm trying to think of a, ter- a terrible film with the boss soundtrack now. Let's um, move on. Flash you. Gordon. Flash Gordon. I, I know the title soundtrack and, and maybe one other. I, 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 I don't think you can say that Flash Gordon's soundtrack is the same as Star Wars. <laughs> and I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying that that is a case in point of a film being bad and a soundtrack being really good. And I'm not going to dispute the fact that the soundtrack is amazing. It's you know some of John Williams' best work. I do think it's absolutely amazing. And it sets the scene. And what I really love is when uh, characters in a film this this is held back to uh, the kind of um, the, the the films of the 1920s you know the silent films where it was always you know as you said good versus evil and each character had a motif and there'd be like a pianist playing the music at the at the at the front of the uh, the theatre and every time you know the bad guy would come on they'd have their own type of music and the, when the good guy would come on they'd have their own type of music as well I think that's amazing that John Williams held back to that era and that you do have these fantastic um, set pieces that are for the specific um, characters and for the, you know, the, the Empire and the Sith and the Jedi. You know, I do think it's fantastic. But I don't think that just because the music is great that the film is great as well I mean that was just my closing point I we've already discussed that <laughs> I was literally just okay right okay my closing point is boring pretty boring big plot holes over a boring film to be honest the characters are two dimensional whiny and not as iconic as you remember they are undertones of sexism and racism <laughs> <in the film. laughs> which was barely argued before uh, and the fact that you know it, it feels like it's setting up for another film which always annoys me when which you know, it was ex- yeah, exactly you're, you're watching a film and you want stuff to happen but it's feeling like oh no something else is going to happen later on but you're yeah. going to have to tune back but it was the Empire Strikes Back yeah, true. Yeah, 
but still, it's <laughs> <laughs> supposed to be impartial on this one. Well. Okay, has anyone else got any closing statements? Any, any other comments? Speak now, forever, hold your peace. Uh, yeah, well, can I say something which I didn't want to say before because as a character witness, I didn't want to start some shit. Or hey, that's a good bit verdict. Yeah, I'll wait until after the verdict. Are you sure you don't want to say it now? No, I'll wait until after the verdict. You're sure? Sucking in matter anyway. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, well I'm going to have a bit of a think about all the things I've heard, and I believe we're doing a segment on Alex's trivia. Oh, so week. while you're thinking, should I while do I'm my... thinking, all right. would you like to do that? So, my trivia is quite short, but it did make me laugh. Uh, apparently, because Kenny Baker. I was looking it up. I knew Kenny Baker played R2-D2, yeah? Yeah. But genuinely, for some reason, I just assumed that he was just going like, beep, beep, pop, pop. I didn't know he was actually fucking in the car. He's in there. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. In oh, there. my God. Well, I didn't know that. Cause it's yeah. fucking, no, I just thought it was remote-controlled. Why the hell would he have to be in So it? the guy on the remote control is Kenny Baker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought he was controlling it, just pushing forwards and then going, blah, blah, blah. And why the hell would he need to be in it? What the hell is that acting? But why? Yeah. I get very authentic beeps and bops. It's like, you know, it's like the guy from Police Academy. But literally, you could just have had a piece of string on the front that you pulled it by. You did not need a man like this. Well, oh, oh, really? Oh, okay, okay. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, apparently, uh, when the cast and crew broke for lunch, they used to leave him in there. They'd forgotten he'd, they would forgotten he'd be in there, and they would leave Kenny Baker That's in the R two D. That's insanely cruel. I found it very in, like the, the, the Saharan sun as well. Just <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. leaving him. In. I, I did it talking about breaks for lunch while they were in the desert I did see then I remembered when Justin Lee Collins did bring back Star Wars mm. and he went around he did interviews with like some of the surviving cast members oh, yeah. and he spoke to Kenny Baker and he said Anthony Daniels could not move particularly fast in the C-3PO outfit so yeah. when they run a yell cut for filming everyone would leg it to the buffet cut and just leave Anthony Daniels hobbling <laughs> along behind them very subtle. apparently he was not a popular man on set oh really what really? so they did it so they did it on purpose, purpose. they literally ditched him and left him staggering behind wow. them wow yeah. oh, in the hustle yeah oh, and, and they wonder why he didn't like them <laughs> see he'd always probably be left with the egg sandwiches that no one wants to eat <laughs> <laughs> okay right well I've had time to think which was a much much needed gap it was much much yeah yeah, yeah 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 uh, to be honest with you, this is not an M. Night Shyamalan film. If you don't know from the first couple of minutes of this podcast where this was going, thank <laughs> God help you. Whoa! <laughs> hey, hey, come on, let's let's not try and dissuade people from listening in the future. Right. So Dave, Dave, just base it. Right, I know, because but try and be. You know, can you base it on their arguments? What would you What would you go for? Like based on their arguments. Based on arguments. Solely on what I've heard. You know. Yeah. I'm going to have to say, gentlemen, this is still a hit. Oh, I've given it the Joel. This is still... Based on the arguments. Based <laughs> on the arguments. I'm sorry, Gav, there were too many plot holes in your own arguments. Oh, I'm sorry. But Joel's argument was basically, yeah, but it's Star Wars. <laughs> which is, which is okay. all I need. Right, okay. But no, you speak of, um, of George Lucas's scriptwriter, well, his direction leaving things in the hands of uh, Harrison Ford to make Han Solo uh, a beloved character make him so enjoyable make him so charismatic your point a little while before that was that the characters were two dimensional and they'd been oversold I said oh he did he did do yeah, that I did, I did but you know okay like Han Solo has is probably the one redeeming character in it and even I've said that, that uh, the characters were two dimensional and I also said that Harrison Ford was the one who was bringing the personality to it. So, although the character of Han Solo might have been two-dimensional, Harrison Ford, the actor, was the one bringing the funnies to <laughs> yeah. it. Right. But, all right, cause just to balance this a little bit, um, my point that I wanted to say before is, 
you know like I know you know the overarching thing the, the thing that unites everything within the Star, Star Wars universe my problem with Star Wars is the force is shit <laughs> and that, and the force, right, that unifies everything. It's just shit, and like it's. It, it, I know that's like massively controversial, but like you're meant to want to be on the good side, but it's just control your emotions, and, and you can pick up sticks. Where it's like the dark side is like electricity, and just like you know, go mental and using you know, your anger, using your anger, and all that sort of thing. So I don't know. It's just I, the, the force never quite. I didn't care about it I find it quite annoying I Very find sad. all the Jedis yeah the Jedis are annoying and yeah the Siths are the fun ones so yeah <laughs> no I mean I've, I've, I'm, like the, it honestly it would not be a choice yeah. of being tempted by the dark side it would be like why the hell would Yoda I not Yoda himself said the dark side is more attractive yeah <laughs> well that's me yeah but so yeah no that's that's my serious problem with the Star Wars universe is this force thing is driving everything and I'm just not a big fan of it yeah no. Well, I've got to say, although Gav, you've put up some good arguments here, there's a lot to consider. At the end of the day, this is, like Joel said, this is Lucas's creation. He's allowed to rehash it if he wants to, and this is an iconic film. There is no denying this is one of the most iconic films ever created. This Ooh. cannot be on the shit list in any way, shape, or form. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, the most impartial judge you'll ever <laughs> I am getting a bit panicked by our shit, in, shit list and our hit list. I, I, get, like, uh, I know we were talking about this uh, the other day, but I still think Conair should not have been on our, on, our, on, our, uh, on our hit list. I was thinking about it a lot. It should be pride of place at the top of a shit list. Do you know what I mean? Conair should be number one <laughs> on the shit list of the and shittest the films ever. The best shit film seen. ever seen. Do you know what I mean? And I do agree with that. You know what I mean? Because I do like Conair. You know, I, I can't disagree no, with that. No, you know what I mean? It should, it should be pride of place on the shit list. You know, like, well done, Conair. You are top of a shit list. But, but well, can't it be scrape of the barrel of the hit list? Just hit list, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll, I'll settle for it. <laughs> Okay, so, so as Steve said there, Star Wars uh, does join the hit list, probably skyrockets to the top because of Dave's impartiality there. Uh, just to say that next week we're going to be reviewing another uh, film that's celebrating a 40th birthday, Suspiria, which is Dario Argento's classic horror film, probably one of the best or renowned as one of the greatest horror films ever made. So that'll be very interesting. Uh, guys, your opinions? I've never heard of it. I'm literally going to have to watch it this week yeah trust no. me trust me you'll enjoy yeah you'll enjoy. Well, I'm prosecuting it so so acting as the judge next week is going to be Joel in defence it's going to be myself prosecutor and we've already heard it's going to be Alex and the witness is going to be Dave so uh, just to close things off I just want to say thank you very much once again to everybody that's listened to this podcast and has continued to listen since the first one I uh, just want to say a big big thank you it is greatly appreciated uh, can you please give us a share please give us a like all the social media details are on the link below you can follow us on twitter at film trials I just want to say once again thank you very much to our graphic designer graphic artist yes. Winston who has been providing us some hilarious artwork as the weeks go by you can also follow him on twitter at the underscore quirks He's got a lot of great things there that you can look at, and I'm sure you know if you want to buy something, you know, we <laughs> probably want to make a deal with you. Um, so, just to say, uh, please tune in again next week when we're going to be reviewing Suspiria. I just want to say thank you very much again, and we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>